Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, hey, and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Can you believe Podcast 365? We talk about peeling the onion back, finding out how to persuade others how they want to be persuaded, and how to persuade below the radar. Hope things are going well. You're having a good week. You're achieving your goals. You're putting more tools in your persuasion toolbox, as we've been talking about. Been a slow week for me, which is good because I had a marathon Zoom online, I think 20, 30 hours worth of Zoom calls last week. So it's good to kind of take a deep breath, get past the Zoom fatigue, spend a little time writing a new book and posting more videos on the sales hacks. 111 sales hacks. There's actually more than that. Check that out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Also the place to get your Persuasion IQ assessment and the free new edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. Let's kick it off with the blunder of the week. Going to the person who has the most blunders, the biggest blunderer don't, don't, don't. of the show, which is me. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to me. Big time blunder. So I'm teaching a university class on public speaking and persuasive presentations. And I'm one of the few professors that elected to do it face to face. Now they still distance. They still wear masks. But who would pay top dollar for a college education that's online? I mean, you go to college to rub shoulders with other students to meet the professors. Online does not work. That's why many universities are getting sued right now. Because, again, why would you pay full tuition for an online education? So I opted in to do the face-to-face meeting. And I don't think too many professors have done that because it's kind of like a ghost town at the university. So I'm getting ready to teach a module on heckling and persuasive presentations. And I like to pull up a lot of videos, a lot of different things. So it takes a little time to prep, get everything ready to roll, which is fine. So I got there early. I prepped, pulled up all the videos, got ready to roll. And nobody was showing up. I'm like, what's this deal? COVID? Now there's the whole COVID thing going on. And a lot of students are using that just to not come to class or postpone their homework. But again, we have to be a little lenient now with this whole COVID thing, but there's a lot of lying going on. So I'm thinking, is there a COVID thing I haven't heard about? What's going on? No one's showing up. Is it me? And I waited and it's the top of the hour. No one's there. And usually you get people showing up 10 minutes early, five minutes early, but there's no one in this room. And then it's the top of the hour, five minutes after the hour, no one's here. Did I get the wrong day? What's going on? And then <laughs> I'm in the wrong room. I was in the room just to the right of my room. They all look the same. It's a hallway of about six rooms. They look exactly the same. The seating's the same. The computer podium's the same. I was in the wrong room. And they were in the other room wondering where I was. And, of course, had a rush in there. Nothing was set up because I had to turn the other computer off. And, yeah, blunder goes to me. So even though I'd been there many times, I get the blunder for going to the wrong room. That even happened to me once before when I was getting ready to speak at this big event. It was at a hotel, traffic accident. Oh, man, I was a little late. And I usually get there pretty early, and I rushed into the hotel 
meeting room, went to the front, sat down. This guy looks at me. He's like, who are you? I'm like, I'm your next speaker. He's like, no, you're not. You're in the wrong room. So I've made that mistake before. Don't you make that? Always double, triple check. Make sure you're in the right spot. Otherwise, you lose a lot of credibility. And it's hard because I was flustered. Things weren't set up. Things weren't ready to roll. The class didn't roll as smoothly as I wanted to. But, you know, that's part of the process when you make the blunder. You just got to deal with it and move on. Which brings us to the geeky, scholarly article of the week. Called The Neuroscience of Trust by Christopher Berglund, Psychology Today, and the Journal of Neuroscience. Now, we've talked a lot about trust on this show, that trust is an all-time low, that it's a feeling. You know, I spent years trying to quantify trust. Check out Magnetic Persuasion if you want to take a deeper dive into trust and how to add those elements. But this is neuroscientific research shows that there are many ways our brains are hardwired to trust others. So I'm saying trust is all-time low. used to be I trust you, give me reason not to. Now it's I don't trust you, give me reason to trust you. But deep down, this scientific research shows we want to trust people. And the person writing the article was talking about being betrayed by somebody and those feelings of hate and resentment and distrust. And once we're wronged by one salesperson, one persuader, one manager, we want to hate all of them. Now let me back up a little bit here and and say, deep down, I think everyone's wearing a badge that says, persuade me, help me make a decision, lead me, persuade me. We want people that we trust to help us make good decisions. But then we've been wronged, we've been taken advantage of, we lost money. So we got to have this balance between wanting to trust, being wired to trust, and then remember all the times we've been betrayed or screwed by other people. So they're talking about we have these neural networks in our brain that cause us to want to trust people. But then when we get betrayed or taken advantage of, those feelings are replaced with animosity, suspicion, and resentment. So they did these studies where participants were under the illusion that they were playing an economic investment game. And there were three different players, a close friend, a stranger, and a computer. And they were just looking at the perception of trust. And those that were participating in the study reported the most positive interactions with the close friend. And it was more rewarding and more trusting than working with the computer. And what they found is this illustrates our innate human desire to connect with others and create those close-knit bonds, even if those ties are based on blind trust. And they found that two specific brain regions were activated, were engaged when there was trust between them and a close friend. Again, who they thought was a close friend. One of those reasons we've talked about before is the prefrontal cortex, which is correlated with positive social signals and helps us get those feelings when we're around a close friend, a friend that we trust. And when those brain regions fired up, participants felt a greater social reward when they believed that their good friend reciprocated cooperation, trust for trust, reciprocity for reciprocity. And they felt that way towards that person, even though most of the time it was a computer and the computer was acting just like the good friend. But they trusted the friend more because it was a friend in their mind, not the computer. So the study found that the willingness to trust others is built into our DNA. Working together has always been key to our survival, having faith in others in our best interests, believing others, even though there's a little risk and uncertainty. 
But we all know, and the experiments showed, that our instinct to trust can override logic. People can be fooled into trusting someone. When they want to trust, they're wired to trust, even though it's a close friend, even though people won't take advantage of you. We've all been betrayed at times, but the brain wants to trust. That's good news to you as persuaders. The brain wants to trust. But again, you have to go back to the past programming of being betrayed, taken advantage of, getting screwed, getting stepped on. That's what balance of logic and emotion. So remember, people do want to trust you. Give them all the signs. Do everything you need to to build that trust. If you have a challenge with trust, go back to the archives at influenceuniversity.com and look at the five C's of trust or go to magnetic persuasion. I'll put a special link and a discount at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Which brings us to listener email. Oh, boy. This is João from Brazil in Salvador. João, I've been there before. I think it's called Costa de Saupi, if I'm saying that one right. Great resorts on the beach. Brazil's beautiful. João says, thanks for the podcast. Kurt, appreciate it. Learning how to persuade with power. I was going through the archives, and you were talking about peeling the onion. I love the concept. Tell me more. How could I peel the onion and help people persuade themselves? All right, great question. Let's talk about it. Let me back up a little bit and talk about peeling the onion. Now, I think this comes from the movie Shrek. The ogre had lots of onions. It was very complicated. It had many layers, and that's just like your prospect. They have layers, and you've got to peel the onion back to figure out what's really going on, what's really happening, because what they say and what they mean are usually two very different things, especially when the emotions hit, what they say, and the real issue could be two very different things. What the first objection is and the real objection is can and usually is two very different things. Sometimes it even surprises your prospect with what they say. you got to peel the onion back, keep asking the questions, keep listening. Let's talk about that. And a few ways to peel the onion back. Remember, your goal as a persuader is to help them persuade themselves to find out exactly what it is. Because when you solve the wrong objection, it's not very persuasive. And we know through research, when you hear it's too expensive, talk to a spouse, more information, I need to think about it. Those are lies 67% of the time. They're just getting rid of you. So your goal here is to be the investigator, the interrogator. I don't know if that's the best word. But you got to figure out what's going on. Maybe being the lawyer, being the doctor, asking the right questions. Because when you're the expert, for example, a doctor, can they really ask too many questions? I doubt it. When you are sick and go to a doctor's office, you want them to ask as many questions as possible. I doubt, and maybe it happens every once in a while, that a doctor can ask too many questions. I mean, maybe they get too personal sometimes. But you want them to figure out exactly what's going on. I mean, think about it. If you went to a lawyer and you had this big lawsuit and things were happening and you sat down, they said, all right, this is what we're going to do. You're like, wait a minute. You haven't even heard my side of the story. Oh, I, I read about it. You're good. No. Even if the lawyer knows how to solve your problem, knows exactly what's going on, they still need to listen and ask the right questions. That's peeling the onion back. Because A, you're going to find out things you didn't even know. And B, your prospects needs to talk about it. Even if you know with 100% accuracy exactly what they need to do, you still have to listen. So let me give you some tools to be able to do that. Some of the duh factor. Well, duh. But you know, we can all work on these things. 
and they all could be better tools in our toolbox. The first one is learn to echo. You're like, what is that? Basically, repeat. Now, did you know that introverts are now more persuasive than extroverts? Yeah, extroverts are salesy, they're pushy, we resist. Introverts, they listen, they ask questions, they consult. We love to be consulted, we do not want to be sold. So learn to echo. Meaning they, well, it's too expensive. Wow, too expensive? Inflect up and then just listen. Be silent. Echo back and be silent. The last word, a couple words of what they just said, and they're going to keep talking, keep talking. It's almost like a reverse vomit. Now, I don't want you vomiting on them because that's not persuasive, but if they vomit on you, they're going to tell you a lot of different things that you need to know to persuade them. And that's the secret. If you can just listen and ask the right questions and echo back, they're going to tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. Well, I really need to think about it. You think about it? You know, inflecting up and just be silent and listen. So echo back and be silent. That makes the big difference. Now, as you do this, maybe you want to tilt your head to the side a little bit. Maybe nod your head up and down with the expectation they're going to keep talking. Sometimes you can do the vocal, hmm, really? Get them talking, get them talking, get them talking. Because when you echo, what they're telling you are their hot buttons. Don't get stuck in the world of fubbing. We've talked about that before where you're not truly listening when your cell phone buzzes or your email dings, you look at them. They're the most important person in the world. You've got to treat them that way. You've got to really learn to ask the right questions and listen. That's number two and three. Empathetic listening and ask the right questions. You can also keep them talking by saying things it seems like. And when they agree, they're agreeing with you and there's a connection there. Now, when I mentioned NLP... Sometimes you can peg at the person's visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. If they're a visual type person, this is the big picture type person. This is the person that talks really fast. You might say, it looks like. If it's an auditory person, it sounds like. If it's a kinesthetic person, it feels like. And fill in the blank there and see if they agree. And when they agree, you've pegged one of their hot buttons. So number one, echo. The other one I mentioned earlier was listening skills. Crack the code. Now, I know a lot of Fortune 500 companies require listening training. The problem is they're a very hostile audience because when your boss sends you to listening training or your spouse sends you to listening training, that becomes very hostile. But poor listening skills accounts for the majority of all communication problems. One study found that poor listening skills are responsible for 16% of misunderstandings. Now, if you've read How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about listening. How important is to listen? People like you. It's a people skill. And they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. Did you catch that? They like you more, and you know how to persuade them. I remember being on a flight from uh, the New York JFK to LA, LAX. It's a long flight, and I was born with the side of my forehead that said, Hi, tell me your life story, and this guy did. Talked the whole time, and I listened. And, you know, I was nodding my head, and we landed. He said, Kurt, you're one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I'm like, you don't even know me. He's all, best conversation I've had in years. I go, it wasn't a conversation. But anyway... I made a friend for life just by listening. Now, good listening is not looking at someone and just nodding or waiting for your turn to talk. I'm talking about listening with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. And you know you can improve here. You know you can get better. But the challenge is, is no one's ever trained you how to do it. Why do we stink at listening? Well, we always prejudge them. Well, they're not interested. They're not going to do it. Or we're focused on our response, what we want to say next. We're jumping to conclusions. Are all reasons that we stink at listening. 
So if you can come with a notepad, learn to listen, turn off your cell phone, put it in your back pocket, whatever you need to do, this changes the game. Now, you could probably vomit on them, hear the 17 reasons you should do it, or find out the main reason they want to do it through listening. Couple pointers, give them undivided attention. Treat them like the most important person in the world. When they ask you a question or have an objection, let them know that's the first time they ever brought it up and treat it that way. If you're face-to-face, look them in the eyes. Not 100% of the time, you know, average around 70% of the time, but you're looking in the eyes, you're showing sincere interest, you're using that silence to keep them talking, and then the pause is so important that a lot of people forget because you want to jump in, cut them off, and answer their question. No, you got to let them finish the question. Pause, then reply. That makes all the difference in the world. I know these are duh factors. Hello. Duh. But you stink at it. Own up to it. You can improve here. This is not the point where, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Move on. No, these are the tools that are the most important that we can always work on. No one on this podcast has arrived in this skill. This is one that all of us can improve on. So we're learning to echo, we're pausing, we're working on our listening skills. And the other one I mentioned was using the right questions. It's no secret that great persuaders ask three times more questions than the average person. Questions control the conversation. They create mental involvement and it helps people persuade themselves. Questions always get answered. You're like, what? Yeah, even if they don't say it out loud, mentally, we've been taught, we answer the question. So even if they don't say anything, their brain is answering the question. So if you really want to get good at this as persuasion, design the questions ahead of time. Make a list of 10 questions you could ask. You probably won't use them all, but they're there. They're ready to roll. That's how it works. Because even the law of verbal packaging, it's one of the 12 laws of persuasion, maximum influence, talks about the words that you use. For example, one study found that when I showed you a picture of a basketball player, said how tall is he versus how short is he, right? Same picture, but the estimation was 79 inches versus 69 inches. So that's 10 inches difference by saying how tall is he versus how short is he. When I show people a video of cars crashing, I say how fast were they going when they smashed into each other versus contacted each other. That's a 10 mile an hour difference in estimation. So your goal as a persuader is to use open-ended questions. You're digging, you're peeling the onion back. That's what I mean by peeling the onion back. Now, if they're a talker and they're talking too much, you might want to use closed-ended questions, the yes or no type questions. But usually, you want the open-ended questions. And always answer a question with a question as you peel the onion back to find out what is the core thing they're looking for, what do they really want. Now, where a lot of people tend to blow it is they don't think about The toughness of the questions, I guess I put it that way. Your goal is to ask the easiest questions first. Get the ball rolling. Get them talking. If you start with the hard questions, then you get a little resistance. Always ask the easiest questions first. Get the conversation going. Don't ask the cheesy, high-lactose questions. Oh, what keeps you up at night? Now, it used to be a really good question, but it's been so abused. I think people resist on that. I know people resist on that. But you need to get them thinking. What do you think about? Have you ever thought about? How do you feel about? When did you start? What did you find? Are all great ways to start the question. Hey, if a genie appeared and made this look perfect, what would that look like to you? Well, really, why do you say that? Hmm, really? I'm telling you, these techniques are the secret sauce. I know they're basic, basic, some duh. 
But these make the biggest difference because you're in denial that you need to work on it. Learn to echo back. Learn to listen. Learn to ask questions. Learn to care about the person. Because I'll put money on that you're just not really listening. You don't really care. Because too many times we always try to supersize. You're like, what do you mean? Hey, tell me about your weekend. Hey, you know what I did? I went to this restaurant. I did this. And you're like, you ask them a question, cut them off, and then you supersize them because your weekend was better than theirs. Tell me about your vacation. Oh, I've been there before, right? And we just don't spend the time to really truly listen to the person. We need to supersize. We need to expand our ego, our self-esteem. Ask the question, silence, echo back, learn to listen, ask more questions. Then you can become truly influential. Hey, Juan, hopefully that helped you out. Hopefully I go back to Salvador there in Brazil. It's a beautiful part of the world. Of course, I always love a good beach. And of course, for using your questions on the show, you get the gold membership to Influence University. If you want to send me your question, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's the spot for all the product, service, ideas, thoughts, contact information, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. There's our plug for the day. We'll give you a special deal on magnetic persuasion that I mentioned earlier. But Maximizers, take what you've learned today or relearned today. Be open and honest with yourself and know that you need to work on it, that you need to improve, that you can get better that you can get better with this tool in your toolbox of persuasion. You become more influential, a better negotiator, a better leader, and of course, master it and go out and persuade with power.